You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healing energy facilitator. Today, I am continuing the War of Art, and we are on book two, which is Combating Resistance, Turning Pro. Last episode, I talked about my thoughts on the book in general, so it was a bit longer, and I'm hoping this one will be a bit shorter, but we'll see what comes through me as I go through my notes. I also wanted to mention that I am recording this on the same day as the disappointment episode and the previous episode on the War of Art, so just keep that in mind that I'm doing this all in one marathon session. This particular part of the book I found really interesting because he's comparing the professional to the amateur. I don't think there's anything wrong with either of them, but the distinctions that he makes were actually really helpful in nudging me to move more into like the professional version. This isn't to say that like you have to be a professional artist selling your work. It just means taking it seriously and actually embodying what you're meant to be here in this existence. That's how I'm experiencing that distinction that he makes we don't all have to do things professionally in terms of like monetizing them we feel unfulfilled when we aren't giving ourselves enough space to care about it and to want to really dive deep into it i also apologize that these episodes have a lot of creaking noises and stuff it's a windy day and i live on the top floor the first part is that aspiring artists who end up being defeated are thinking like amateurs. This is the point where he says that a pro treats it like a vocation. There's like a dedication to it. They they consider it a full-time thing. So this, he is saying like being a professional, but I want you to think of it as like how much of your energy you're putting into it when you're doing it. Okay. He is very much saying like, if you want to be a professional artist, you're doing it full time. Right. But the way I am interpreting it is when you're showing up and doing the thing, how are you seeing it as part of your life and part of your purpose and part of your destiny here on earth? Okay. But when he talks about the amateur, he talks about the weekend warrior and says that they don't love it enough to really commit to it. It's like when I was finishing school and I was like, yeah, I like doing art. I like making prints. I like doing this. And I would tell people like, you know, I went to school for art, but I wouldn't call myself an artist. Whereas like once you say I'm an artist, which I started saying on this podcast, as you know, and I say it live every week, it's not pre-recorded. It's not part of the intro. And I do that because even if I'm not actively making art all day, full time, it doesn't mean that I'm not an artist. That goes for anything that you do. Like I said, I don't think that it needs to be a nine to five full time, everything you do kind of energy. But there's a difference between saying it's something you do in your spare time versus something that you embody. If it's something that means a lot to you, it just means that you find ways to gradually incorporate it more. 
or to commit to doing it more. He's saying that in his view, like the professional is someone who creates a schedule where they're just showing up. They don't think we can all just sit down every day and say, in this specific time, I'm going to be creative. But I do understand what he's saying and appreciate that. It goes back to the point in last episode talking about how sitting down to do the thing is the hardest part. I think this is something I need to get better at. I'm pretty good at giving myself the Thursdays off, right? But I'm not good at knowing what to do at that time. And then I just end up doing nothing until like 4 p.m. when I get mad and go for a walk. (laughs) So I think his point here that I'm going to start to incorporate myself is that if you put yourself in a position where you are giving yourself the space for it, build it and they will come, right? He says here in a quote, I go through the chores, the correspondence, the obligations of daily life. Again, I'm there, but not really. The clock is running in my head. I know I can indulge in the daily crap for a little while, but I must cut it off when the bell rings. That is the thing that I need to keep in mind because I'm similar where I do a lot of stuff in the mornings. It does happen to me almost every day regularly where it's around noon or one when I'm finally like, okay, now I have to get to work and then I can do it. And so I just need to apply the same principles to when I want to make art or work on doing a healing session for myself to learn what's coming next or to channel or to journal. I need to be professional about it. I should show up professionally for my work. I show up and I give it my all and I make sure that I have enough time to complete things to the standard that I want to show up in for clients and the people that I work for. So why can't I do that for myself, right? Yes, I know I need to be inspired in order for the work to move through me. I think if I just keep waiting for that, there might never be a point where I feel inspired in a consistent way, but I can spend one or two hours a week for now sitting with my materials and physically being with them and not having the expectation or the pressure that I'll create something amazing, eventually I'm going to want to play with them. I'm going to want to do something. It will come through if I keep showing up. The next thing he talks about is the principle of priority. What is urgent versus important? How we know what is urgent, something that has to happen now versus something that's important that I need to get to but does not happen to happen right now. If you have trouble with that, you're not alone. I also do too. But it's, I guess, for me, a process of now learning ways to facilitate that. And I've said it a million times, but having a notepad to write down those things that I have to look at and think, okay, this is not due for a week or so, but I do need to do it. So I'll write it down and then transfer it to my calendar versus like, getting a message saying you were supposed to do this thing before and it needs to happen now and being like, okay, that is urgent. I will do it now, right? He basically says artists are committed to their calling knowing that they volunteered for hell, right? So it is hard, but keeping in mind that you already are a professional just because you've committed to it. He actually lists like all the things that you would do for your day job, And then it kind of makes you think to yourself, like, why is it different this way? Because he says, like, you show up every day, no matter what. You stay all day. You don't leave halfway through the day just because you feel like it. A lot of people will look at, like, the long haul to retirement. The stakes are high and real. Like, you need that job in order to 
make ends meet. In this case, I think with that, I would say that it's more about fulfillment, like personal fulfillment. And then, yes, if it is your full-time job, then treat it like your full-time job. But I think, too, there's a part of it that's just the stakes are high because you want to fulfill this purpose. And keep in mind, your purpose and your career are separate things. Then he says you expect remuneration for labor. So if it is something that you're doing to make money, it's okay to make money from said thing. And then not over-identifying with the job because he said that actually is what amateurs do. They'll go around telling everyone they're an artist or that they are a writer or whatever it is. But then by saying it, it paralyzes them because then they're like, but I'm not doing it. And if I don't do it well, then I'm not worth anything. And I think this is a part that's hard for me as well because I do claim what my purpose is. I try to embody it. But then it is difficult for me when I'm not able to do it or when I do have the resistance Then I'm like, well, am I an artist? Because I haven't made any art in a while. But the next point he makes kind of helps with that is he says your job is to master the technique and that you can have a sense of humor about it. I was like, you know what, if I do keep showing up with my materials and keep being in that space and know that sometimes it's hard and that it's not a bad thing, it's not so serious, then it can be a lot easier to keep showing up. There's more sustainability that way. That expectation makes it so that I want to eventually show up. And that's where I said, you can keep trying. That came up with the disappointment episode where there's no limit to how many times you can try and it doesn't change who you are. It's not a character thing. Another point that he makes is that if you really love it, then don't give yourself too much leniency. And that's where I'm trying to curb myself. Because I can feel it lifting. I do feel like the reason all of this is coming up and all of these episodes are happening is because I can actually feel it lifting for myself. So it makes sense for me to be able to share it now because I've started taking some steps to work towards it. But going back to the point of the delayed gratification and knowing that you're committed to the long haul is the fact that there will be times where it's painful and that you're persistent will be difficult. But as long as you keep showing up, that's what a professional does. They just keep saying, okay, this is hard, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And there have been times in the last few months when I thought maybe I just should leave art for now, or maybe I should leave the healing work and just focus on the clients that I have and that work that I'm doing. But I allow that to move through me. And then I keep going. I keep showing up. I keep looking at things that inspire me. Even though I'm quiet and I'm not making work, I'm looking at what other artists are doing. I'm reading these kinds of books. I'm still keeping myself in the space enough to know and trust that when it is time to align and start creating again, I'll have the energy to do it and to show up because I'm giving time and space to it consistently in different forms. And then he talks about how Sometimes thinking of it as honing your crap can actually help you because that gives you this sense that you're part of something, that you're fulfilling some sort of destiny. Whereas when you're like, I am making art, art feels like a very specific, narrow set of like what that can be. And that can be paralyzing. And so he talks about how that's actually going back to where the amateur is like, I'm an artist. I make art in that sense. And like I'm seeing as like a capital A, that's the term that's coming in my head right now. 
But when you see it as like being part of a process of creation, it goes back to like mastering the technique. If you show up with the technique, then you know that the muse or inspiration or spirit will help you with what you're going to create and help you connect to why you want to create it. The amateur gets so preoccupied with this mystery part of it that they don't show up. And I think that's where I'm turning the corner now is I realized like, even if I don't have the inspiration yet, I need to still have myself immersed in the materials. I have them around and I see them, but I think getting them out and even just playing around without the expectation of making anything, I think taking away the expectation of that and just knowing that the inspiration and spirit needs something to move through. It needs a structure. There needs to be something to immediately be able to move that inspiration to. And I talk about this in terms of money as well. If you don't have a way for people to pay you, if you don't have a booking system set up, then how are people going to know that they can purchase those services, right? And it's the same thing, I think. If you imagine the muse being a client that knows that you have the specific set of skills to create what they want, but you're not showing up to work, that it has no way to pay you, right? I'm seeing it as like a currency, right? That was a really good point that I appreciated. He says that the amateur believes that you have to overcome the fear first, but the professional is realistic and knows you're never going to overcome that and that you have to keep working in spite of that. The more action you take and the more you prove to yourself that you can do it, the less you're going to feel that fear. And this went back to disappointment as well. He talks about not allowing yourself to have as many excuses because if you cave today, you're two times likely to cave tomorrow. That's what he says. And I kind of agree to that too, because I think, like I said, with the disappointment, there's tons and tons of times when I've wanted to go downtown. The one day that I do it, it makes it less likely that I'm going to avoid it the next time. But he says leaning into the excuses is like saying hello to a telemarketer because you know they're just going to keep talking. You know what's going to happen. You could just say no or just hang up. And so if you consider resistance and excuses to be like telemarketers, I feel like that's a good way to put it because we're at a point now where like we don't answer our phones for anything we don't know. He also makes a really good point about asking for help and reminds us that even Tiger Woods at his peak still had a coach that he was learning from because he acknowledges that there are always ways to improve. And it's the amateur that thinks that they know everything and that they don't need any help. So if you have that mindset, then you also don't take failure or success personally because you just end up with a thick skin knowing that you can't possibly know it all. It's not always going to be perfect. That is part of the process of getting better. As long as we're showing up in the way that we want to show up and being open to the fact that failure is part of it, then we're doing what we're supposed to do. It just sometimes doesn't feel that way. But by acknowledging adversity and humiliation and things that happen externally, when we realize that those are part of the process, then we can evaluate whether we think we showed up to our best potential in that moment. And then we can also say, you know what, this was great because I learned how I can improve. 
even if I didn't do things how I really would love to have done them, I actually learn that this is an area I can work on. This is where I went wrong. This is how I can improve. And then it actually gives you something to focus on, on those days when you are really not having any inspiration. So for example, let's say when I'm creating a print and I make some proofs and I look and I'm like, you know what? I am definitely not pushing hard enough in this one spot because I notice every time I use this one tool, it never really shows up. The ink never sits there and I end up missing little bits of the print. Even though it's frustrating and you're like, that didn't work out how I wanted it to, then it's good because then on a day when I am really feeling stuck, I can just pull out a plate and practice different line weights. And that gives me something to do. In the process of doing that, that's when the inspiration might strike. I might make a certain mark that I really like and then get an idea. He calls this maintaining sovereignty over the moment. It's within your own power to improve. You know that you can make that next shot, like using the Tiger Woods reference. So even if something happens and you're disappointed, you know that you can do it next time and that it's okay that this particular time you didn't. I love the next point that he makes because he's talking about external criticism. And he says to keep in mind that others can't define your reality and that tomorrow morning the critics will be gone but the writer will still be there facing the blank page so in other words yes people will have their say if you're putting yourself out there you're going to get feedback but at the end of the day you're the one who gets to decide what is a success for you you get to decide that that was the work you were meant to create at that time because the other person's not going to be there for the other side of it. They're not there for the consequences of their words, right? They're not there to help you process what they're saying. They're just saying it and running away. So only you get to decide how much power you want to give to that phrase or that criticism. And this also goes back to disappointment and knowing that as long as you fulfilled your end of the bargain to your expectations, if someone else had unrealistic expectations or they're comparing you to someone else's reality or someone else's work, then that's not on you. That's on them. And you can just move on. You don't have to hold on to it. If you hold on to every single criticism, you also have to keep in mind that maybe their criticism is coming from a deep desire of their own to do that work. They're really seeing how they would do it, but they're not doing it. So it's none of their business how you would do things moving forward. They had their say in the moment that you don't have to take that with you. That's kind of where this ends is that you actually have more power than you think you do. And he talks about how in general, if you treat it like you have hired yourself, then you can do things like having a Monday status meeting, deciding what your goals are for the week, breaking things down, giving yourself deadlines. And if that helps, great. And then the last, last point I'm going to make is that he says the resistance yields to the pro. The bully has no strength of its own. It only gets its power from your fear. So that is where I'm going to leave this one. Next week is book three, or I don't know about next week. I don't know if this is going to fall 
around the time that I'm doing the episode with Emily. But this next episode will be the book three, Beyond Resistance, The Higher Realm. And it's my favorite. I feel like we get through these two. And this last one is where it really resonated with me and reminded me actually a lot of Big Magic, which I said I was going to do an episode or two on and I might still do that. But I feel like I was meant to come to this one before revisiting it. So I will see you next week. Okay, so it's not next week yet, but it is a couple weeks from when I originally recorded this. And I was right. The next episode you'll hear after this one will be the Cosmic Energy Report with Emily for Virgo season. I figured I better add this on at the end because this is my last chance to let you know ahead of time that if you want to get the discount code for the Virgo season remote recharge healing energy session, you'll want to be on the newsletter list before the next episode comes out next Tuesday because I send out the newsletter, my seasonal reset the same day as the podcast episode. So make sure that you get on the list, which is in the show notes or in my Instagram bio. And then that way you won't miss out on the extra details about the cards that I pull, as well as a bunch of other bonuses, including journal prompts, a creative prompt, and then whatever else comes to mind for me. And now, since it's been a while since I recorded, I can tell you that we already did the Leo season recharge since last time. And it was really beautiful. It was a great experience. I feel like we all received so much from the themes that came up. I actually ended up creating a playlist for the energy. It was just a really great session. And I'm already looking forward to the Virgo season one. So the link will also be available for that session on Tuesday next week. I'm not putting it up ahead of time because I want to make sure that People receive the newsletter before it goes live, and that way they'll be able to use the discount if they'd like. So send me a message if you have any questions about any of the things I've mentioned or about the book, anything you just want to chat with me about. It'll be two weeks from now when you'll hear about book three. It talks a bit more about the spirit woo-woo side of the book. So I feel like we've just been leading up to that. And I also wanted to share that since the last episode, I actually went to the art store downtown and picked up a couple of carving blocks, a few other materials, and I already have carved out two blocks. It's going to be like a two-piece print, I think. It's just a fun one, like I said in this episode just playing and there's no expectation that it's going to be like the greatest thing I've ever made or anything. It's just getting my hands on the tools again and just showing up. So I'll be excited to share the prints when I get around to actually printing those. I'll be sharing them on my Instagram on concrete and crystals. So feel free to pop over there if you want to see that when it is finished. But I just wanted to let you know that I am sticking to my word and starting to implement some of the things that I learned from this book so far. So I will see you next week for the Cosmic Energy Report, and I look forward to connecting with Emily this week. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. 
You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs. Or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.